Hello, welcome to the Science Podcast. Hello, today we are talking to our guest Anne-Marie, who is an astronomer. Hello everyone, Uh, my name is uh, Anne-Marie Wijmans and I work at the University of St. Andrews and I work there as an astronomer. And I'm just wondering, because I have the feeling you already know a lot about astronomy. Do you know what an astronomer is? What does an astronomer do? It's somebody that studies the stars and stuff like that. Yes, indeed. What an astronomer does is looking at space and trying to figure out what is going on there. So I look at stars and my specialty, the thing that I really study is galaxies. And galaxies, like our own Milky Way, is basically big groups of stars together. Um, So another thing maybe to know about an astronomer, do you think that to look at the stars, I just go outside and I look up at the night sky? Is that what you think that I do? No. No, no. What do I do then? What do I do to to look at the sky? What do I use? Telescope. Telescopes. So we have a telescope in St. Andrews, and if you're ever in the neighborhood, you should definitely come and visit it. Um, But I will admit that though Scotland is a great place to live, it is not the best place to put a telescope to look at the stars. Any idea why? Because there's lots of light. There is lots of lights. The telescope is next to a football field, which has lots of floodlights. But there's also another problem, because what does the weather need to be like to see the stars? Clear. Clear. And what do we have a lot in Scotland? We have a lot of... Clouds. Yeah. So the telescopes that I use for my work are not in Scotland or not even in the United Kingdom. Uh, Some of them are in the United States, up a high mountain in the desert. And some of them are at the Canary Islands, which is on the coast of Africa in in Spain. And there are people there at the telescopes. They work the telescopes. They get the data. And then I get all the images, et cetera, to to do my science with. So that is what I do as an astronomer. Um, Do you have any questions on that? Nope. Nope. That's all clear? Okay, Um, so I'm actually wondering, because I have the feeling that the topic for today is going to be space. An astronomer works with space. Can you think of other people who work with space? Astronauts. Astronauts, yes. Astronauts are people who, who actually go to space, right? So they go into a rocket. And where do the astronauts go? The space station. The space station. And I actually realized, if if you're interested, I can share my screen and show you this International Space Station, because it just looks really pretty, I think. Um, Share screen. So I hope that works. Mm, It does. Yeah. And we call it a space station. It's actually not that far away from Earth. It's 400 kilometers up in the sky. So it is definitely in, in space. And it circles around the Earth, just like the moon does. And the space station moves quite quickly. It goes with 17,000 miles per hour. And that means that every day, these astronauts there go 15 times around Earth. 
I'm not sure if they really notice that, how fast they're moving, but they definitely are. And you can see the space station also from Earth. Sometimes you see a big satellite, so very bright, just very quickly move over the sky. That is a space station. And if you want, you can give it a wave. Um, they probably don't see you wave, but it's still nice for them to know that people are waving at them from Earth. So yeah, definitely astronauts work with space. Uh, can you think of other people who work with space? Um, quantum physicists sometimes. Yes, quantum physicists and a lot of other physicists too, like particle physicists, because there's a lot going on in space. A lot of big things like planets and stars and galaxies, but there is also things like radiation. Uh, there are things like neutrinos, small particles moving around. So physicists, quantum physicists, particle physicists are also very interested in space. You're all good at this. Any, any more ideas? Okay, let me ask you a question. How did this space station get up there in space? Don't they have a giant spaceship and it detached from Yes. It? Yeah, you need a rocket, you need to launch it in space, and then they build it up. And who are the people that build rockets and that build space, uh, that uh, builds these spaceships? It's an engineer of some kind. Yes. So engineers are also people who, who work with space. And sometimes people forget that. They think, oh, astronomers, physicists, scientists, etc. But engineers also do a lot of the work um, to make sure that we can go to space and that we also have telescopes. So there's, there's lots of things going on there. Okay, I feel like I have asked you a lot of questions. Um, as an astronomer, I look at things in space. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about my favorite object in space, if you want to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah? Okay, I'll show you. So these are the things that I study. And I'm going to show you now a very pretty, or at least I think it's pretty, galaxy. So this galaxy is called the Andromeda Galaxy. And it is very similar to our own galaxy, our own Milky Way. And it is one of our nearest neighbors. When I say neighbor, it's like 2.5 million light years away. Um, I'm not quite sure if you, have you heard about light years before? Do you know what that is? It's a unit of measurement. Yeah. So light takes two and a half million years to travel from the Andromeda galaxy to us. So this is really, really far away. And do you know what galaxies are made of? Hundreds of stars and solar systems. Well, I hear Lachlan say hundreds of stars. Does anyone else think there are more stars or there are less stars in a galaxy? Does anyone want to have a guess how many stars you would see in a galaxy? More than a billion. Spot on. In one go, Noah, yes. It depends a bit on the, on the galaxy itself, but someone, some galaxy like this would be 10 billion, 100 billion gal uh, stars in there. So that is a lot of, lot of stars, right? And that also makes that we can see these galaxies because even though we can't see the single stars because they're so far away, all of them together are bright enough to make us see the galaxy. And what else can you see in this galaxy? There's lots of stars in there. What else is there in the galaxy? Do you know? Planets. Planets, yes. It is actually interesting because if you think, oh, we have 
a hundred billion stars in there, and suppose that each star has a few planets, then you also have hundreds and hundreds and billions of planets there. So that's a lot, lot of different planets you could visit if you had a fast enough space station, uh, spaceship. So another thing that you maybe see here is you see that there are stars in there because you see a lot of light, but do you also see the black patches in here? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that, that black, that is dust. And I will say that the dust makes a galaxy slightly more interesting because the dust is all lying in the disk, the plane of the galaxy. That is like the pancake of the galaxy. And it, this comes from stars and it makes these really nice patterns in there. It follows a little bit the spiral arms that you see in this galaxy. Um, there is more in this galaxy. I'm just wondering if anyone knows what you would find straight in the center here of this galaxy. It's everyone's favorite object in space. It's a black. Oh. Black yes, hole. black hole. So we can talk more about black holes if you want later on, but in the center of, as far as we think, every big galaxy, there is a really, really big black hole. And sometimes that black hole can be active. It's not in our Milky Way. It's also not in the Andromeda. And that means that there can be really, really big jets shooting out of the galaxy. And actually, I show you another galaxy. This is not a spiral galaxy. This is an elliptical galaxy. But do you see this jet coming out? That is all gas. And that is all coming from the black hole that is active in the center of this galaxy. So even though you can't see the black hole, because compared to the galaxy, it's just tiny, you do see the effects that it has here. But those are my favorite objects in space. They're galaxies. But that is just because I study them. I try to find out how these galaxies behave, how they may be change color over their lifetime and just what is going on there. Do you have any questions about galaxies? No. No? Okay, then it's my turn to ask you questions because what are your favorite objects in space? The Horsehead Nebula is cool. The Horsehead Nebula is definitely cool. Uh, I don't think I have, a, do I have a picture of the Horsehead Nebula? Huh. I actually have. So what is going on here in the Horsehead Nebula? Do you know? Um, I'm pretty sure it's just giant clusters of gas. Yes. So the Horsehead Nebula has a lot of dust. And I have to admit, you have to squint your eyes a little bit. Then you can see maybe the head of a horse in here. So here's its snout, here its ears, here the neck. That's why we call it the Horsehead Nebula. And there is lots of gas in there. And what is that gas doing? In this, in this nebula. It's not just sitting there. It's kind of swirling. It is swirling and while it does that, it is forming new stars. So the Horsehead Nebula is what we call a star formation region. And there are some places in the Milky Way where there is a lot of gas and that gas is coming together to form new stars. And the Horsehead Nebula is in the Orion constellation. And you may have heard of the Orion constellation. It's a big constellation. It's a bit difficult to see now, but in winter, it's a very clear one to see in the sky. 
And the Horsehead Nebula, the star forming region, is just underneath the belt, the three stars that make up the, const uh, the belt of the Orion constellation. But you know, there is a Scottish connection with the Horsehead Nebula. And I will say, not many people that I talk to know this, but this Horsehead Nebula was first discovered by a Scottish astronomer. Uh, she was from Dundee, but she worked in the United States in Harvard, and her name is Williamina, Williamina Fleming. And it's a bit, so maybe I should ask, have you heard of Williamina Fleming before? Yeah, in science we did a project on scientists. Yeah, oh that is perfect. I'm so happy to hear that because a lot of people that I talk to have never heard of her. And that's such a pity because she's from Dundee, she's Scottish, and she did a lot of very interesting work. Uh, she discovered the Horsehead Nebula, but she also did a lot of work on different types of stars and trying to find a way to sort different stars into different systems so that we would be better able to understand what all these different stars were. So I'm really glad that you've heard of her because I think more people should know about her. So did she spot it when she was in Dundee or when she was a, abroad? No, she spot, She worked, uh, she emigrate, emigrated uh, uh, in the United States. And funnily enough, she didn't get work there as an astronomer. She didn't go there as an astronomer. She got a job. Um, I think she was cle a cleaner, actually. She was cleaning in the observatory. But we're talking here about quite some time ago, um, I don't know the exact year, but at least more than 130 years ago, so the late, nine, the late 1800s. And at that time, when people did astronomy, they had telescopes, um, but they didn't really have computers. So if you then wanted to calculate something or you wanted to study an image that you had taken with your uh, telescope, you couldn't, like I do, just put it in a computer. So what the astronomers did instead is they gave it to human computers. And these were people specifically trained to do complicated calculations that nowadays we would give to a computer, but they would do that by hand, which I think is very impressive. And these were mostly women actually who got these jobs. And Williamina got a job as a human computer. But then I guess she was so fascinated by all the the numbers that she was calculating and the work that she was doing, that she actually became an astronomer. And many of her colleagues became astronomers. There are, if you look back uh, in science, sometimes it's like, oh, it's all men doing science. But in astronomy, quite early on already, women were doing science and they mostly got into these jobs starting as a computer and then becoming an astronomer, which is really interesting. So we're talking a bit about history now instead of astronomy, but I think that's actually quite connected there. I will also say, um, we, we started talking um, at the beginning about jobs to do with astronomy. And we talked about astronomers, astronauts, engineers, but computer programmers or data scientists also do a lot of work because if we really want to understand stars, sometimes we have to do calculations and, and get the right numbers so that we know how big a star is. Is it hot enough to have planets around it? These kind of things. And then you would want a computer program to do that. 
And a lot of that work is also done by astronomers and by uh, computer programmers. So as an astronomer, you get to do a lot of programming still. Do we want to go on to another object? Because I think this one was Lachlan's favorite object. Um, does anyone else have a favorite object they want to talk about or ask questions about? No one else does. Then I was going to show you this. I don't know. Can you see that? Yes, I see that. Oh, yeah. that is absolutely it's, beautiful. That's on the, It's actually on an album cover of a band called Pearl Jam. Mm. They put that on their album cover, and that's when I first saw it. It is beautiful, but it's also a very sad image. Mm -hmm. Does anyone know what is happening in this image here? And I've put, I don't think it's the same one, but I put a similar nebula up here. Right. Is that a supernova exploding? It's not a supernova, um, but you are in the right direction. You are looking at the death, the end of a star which I think always on one end is a bit sad. Um, this is a star who has lived a nice long life, but it ran out of gas in the core that it could fuel and therefore shine. And what happens then depends a little bit on what kind of star it was. If it's a really, really big star, it will go supernova, it will explode. But if it's a smaller star like our sun, so our sun will at some point do this, then it's not going to explode, but I always say instead of it will go bloop. And what, that's what we call a planetary nebula. And what happens is that the outer layers of the star go off into space. And that is what you see happening here. So here is what is left of the star and all the outer gas layers of the star just go off into space and you get these really beautiful patterns then. And we call this a planetary nebula because when people first started looking at this through all the telescopes, they looked a little bit like a planet. They weren't, they're definitely not planets. They are nebulas of dying stars, but the name kind of stuck. And do you see what's in the center here, left of the star, right? I'm just wondering, this is a difficult question, but I'm just wondering if anyone knows what this is called, what's left of the star. Well, it's a dwarf star. We call this a white dwarf because it's a very small star. It's just the core of the star that is left. And this star is still, we can still see it. It's still glowing because it's so hot. But over time, over the next billions of years, it will cool down and become fainter and fainter and fainter until you won't see it anymore. I realize that all sounds a bit sad, but I can assure you the star had a long life. Our own sun, for instance. Oh, that's a good question. Does anyone know how old our sun is? Our is own it, sun? Isn't it like 13.8 billion or something like that? Oh, that is the age of the whole universe. Oh. So our sun is, is slightly younger. It's just as old as the Earth, in a sense. Maybe you know that number around seven or eight billion? A uh, little bit younger. I would say about four and a half billion years. And the lifetime of our sun, a star like our sun, a yellow star, can reach nine to 10 billion years of age. So we still have five billion years left before our sun will go and uh, 
turn into a white dwarf. And I hope at that time we have found another place that we can go to, but we still have 5 billion years to figure that out. But I kind of like that, right? Because you have this star forming horse at Nebula where you have gas that is forming stars. And then at the end of a star's life, all that gas that was in the star goes back into space and can in principle be used again to make new stars. So you have a circle of star life going on. Stars get born, they shine, they may have planets around them. And then at the end, all the gas goes back into space and can form new stars. I quite like, I quite like comets. I think they're quite cool. Oh yeah, I am there with you. I'm just wondering, did any of you ever see a comet before? No. 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 They can be a bit difficult to see, right? But um, this is one that I saw when I was a child. Um, it's called Hale-Bopp and it was a really, really bright comet in 1997. Um, and what I like about this picture is the tail, right? Because comets have a tail. So comets are rocks. Well, mostly actually they're icy rocks and they come from the edge of the solar system. So far beyond even Pluto. And they go around the sun and then they come closer to the sun. The ice uh, heats up and it starts to move away from the, from the comet. And that is how a comet gets its tail. And I'm now just wondering if people can see this, um, that there are actually two tails in this comet. Yes. yes. So this, the, the big tail here, that's the white tail, that is all the dust, all the gas that gets evaporated that gets blown off and that shows you the direction that the comet is moving so it's trailing behind the comet but this blue here that is um that is gas and that is following the magnetic field so the sun is in this direction here so this second tail points towards the sun and the dust tail points towards where the comet is moving but I will say, if you ever get the opportunity to see a comet in the sky, go, just go and look, because they look amazing. But you will probably only see the dust tail. To see the other tail, the gas tail, you probably will need a telescope or something like that. So maybe next time there's a big comet up, you should just go to an observatory and, uh, and look through a, through a telescope. That would be really cool. Got a wee question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, what about those small stars that you sometimes see? Like when those like small stars, like you just look up and it's nighttime. Yeah. That is actually a good point because there are so many stars that you can see, especially if it's nice and dark and not raining. And maybe maybe we should actually talk a little bit about the stars right and, and see what we know about those um so i have a i've just put up a picture of of some stars and i'm just wondering and you can see this if you have good eyes and if you have a really clear night you may notice that not all stars have the same color there are blue stars 
there are yellow stars like our sun, and then there are also red stars there. And as an astronomer, at that point you think like, huh, that's interesting. Why do these stars have different colors? Does anyone have an idea about that? Does anyone want to guess why? Why would stars have different colors? What makes them have different colors? Usually different sizes. Yes, there are different sizes indeed. And which of these stars do you think are the biggest? So the biggest stars would also be the hottest stars, right? The blue ones. The blue ones. That's interesting. Why do you say the blue ones? Because supernovas are usually blue and blue fire burns hotter than red and orange fire. Yes, very, very well. It's kind of a little bit in counterintuitive, but if you look at stars, then the biggest ones the and the hottest ones are the blue ones. And it's exactly for the reason that you just said, Lachlan. Um, blue fire is the hottest fire. I don't know if any of you ever go camping, but if you do and you want to heat up your foods with a gas burner, the, the flames will be blue. And the red stars are the smaller stars and the cooler stars. Uh, when I say cool, let, let's just place this into perspective, right? Um, our sun is a bit in the middle, average star. Yellow is about 5,000 degrees on the surface. The red star is still about 3,500, right? So it's not cold, it's just colder than the sun. But these blue giant stars can be basically 10,000 of degrees. So they are definitely a lot hotter. I'm just wondering, is anyone surprised that blue stars are hotter than, than yellow stars? Is that what you thought initially? No. No? Why would you think it would be the other way around? Because I'm with you, Noah. It is a little bit strange. Why would it be the other way around, you think? The thing is, colors have different meanings, right? In astronomy and in physics, blue means really, really hot and red is colder. But if you would go to, the, to a tap and wash your hands, then you would see that the cold water is the blue tap and the hot water is the red tap. And that is because people associate blue with ice and with cold. And red, maybe with, with some fire, uh, burning some wood logs or something. And that, that has more red flames. And that's why, as a society, we decided that blue is a cold color and uh, red is a warm color. But if you look at the physics, it's exactly the other way around. And I find that interesting that colors can just have different meanings depending on, on what you're working with. And... Next time, if you want to see different colors of stars, um, this is that Orion constellation that I talked about earlier. Um, so you have the three stars here at the belt. The Horset Nebula would be about here. And this star here, Betelgeuse, if it's a nice clear night, you can actually see that that star is red. And then this star here on the belt, so Betelgeuse is on the shoulder, and the star, oh no, let, let's take this one. The star here at one of the feet is called Rigel, and that is a blue star. So if you look at those two different stars and it's clear, you can definitely see that they're different colors. That's the first time I've seen 
the name Beetlejuice and spelt like that uh, because there's like a well-known film you might know called Beetlejuice, but it spells it as in the insect beetle and juice, as in ah, juice you would drink. Yes. So I'd wonder if that's connected some way. I don't know. I don't know, actually. I think the name Beetlejuice, well, a lot of the star names we get from the Greek or the Arabic world. Um, I would actually have to look that up, why that yeah. star is called Beetlejuice. It probably has a meaning. Um, but if I can, this is just something that I learned recently, so I'm going to share that with you. There is, if you uh, do Scottish Gaelic, um, Beetlejuice has a different name. I have to look this up now because I wrote it down because I thought this was so interesting. It's called Anspor Jerek. I hope I pronounced that right. And that means the red uh, spark. So Jerek is red. And I found that really interesting that they, the, the Gaelic name really goes into the color of the star there. Well, the star Rigel here, it's called Anspor Lia, and Lia can mean something like light blue. So different languages use different ways to, to give names to the stars. I was just looking that up, adding on to that point, Andre, I was looking up why it's called Betelgeuse. Mm -hmm. um, and it says that the name is derived from the Arabic word Bat al-Jalza. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. <laughs> And apparently that means the giant shoulder. Oh, and that would make sense because mm. the constellation Orion also comes from, from that same world. And it is in the shoulder. It is one of the shoulders in the, the Beetlejuice. Yeah. Was there not something about Beetlejuice? Like, was it last year? And they were worrying because it was like, it was dimming. And then they yes. figured out that it was like a cloud of gas and dust or something that was obscuring it. Yeah, so Betelgeuse is actually, if you are an astronomer, I think after this, you will keep an eye on this too. Betelgeuse is a very exciting star because Betelgeuse is red, which means it's a cooler star. But Betelgeuse is not a small star. It's actually a red supergiant star. And that is what happens with a star, like our sun, just before they, well... I think actually Betelgeuse is a bigger star. That is happens to stars just before they explode. And that would be really, really exciting. We don't know how long till Betelgeuse is going to explode. It may be a few more hundred years. It may be a few more thousand years. It could also happen tomorrow. We don't know. So whenever Betelgeuse does something that is a bit strange, like dimming or, or brightening, we're all looking at it going like, oh, is it, is it going to go? Is it going to go? But so far, it, it, it's still up there. But that, that would be really nice because we do have seen supernovas go off in stars in different galaxies, and we see them actually regularly. Um, there is also... I feel like we're doing a bit of history there. If, 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 if you don't want to, you need to stop me there. But for instance, this one here is called the Cap Nebula. And it is uh, what remains of a supernova. And this one here went off in the year 1054. And we know that it went off in that year because there are uh, basically books written by Chinese astronomers who saw 
the supernova go off because a supernova is very, very bright. And the star, as they say, was visible during the daylight. And they noted this down. They also noted down how it then became dimmer again over time. So we have information of supernovas that went off almost a thousand years ago, um, thanks to astronomers uh, who kept track of that. And it also shows astronomy is very international. Um, this, this was something that we have left from, from Chinese astronomers, but uh, many different people all over the world have been watching the skies for thousands and thousands of years. And we're always very lucky when we find something back or uh, when that knowledge just comes to us, yeah. Just to uh, butt in just for a wee second, I just looked up because uh, I was intrigued about the name Beetlejuice as well there and the film and wondering what the connection was. And yeah. it says here that um, Beetlejuice, the film, was named after the Beetlejuice star, a star in the Orion constellation. The reasoning behind this is that Beetlejuice is supposed to be the doorway to the infinite blackness of outer space, which well, is a metaphor for Beetlejuice, the character in the film, being the doorman of the underworld. So it is connected. Wow. That's amazing. I learned something new today. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have your profile as well, Anne-Marie. Oh, wait a minute. I pressed the wrong thing. Because <laughs> you filled in a wee profile thing. Oh, minute, I'll just share it. I'll try. Share it. There we go. Can you see that? Yeah. I don't know what will happen if I do this. It might go chaotic. Can you all see that on the... So that's yeah. Anne-Marie's profile. Um, so a wee bit about Anne-Marie as well. Um, oh, you were born in the Netherlands? Yes. Ah. So it I tells you a wee bit about like how Anne-Marie got into what she, what she does now. I'm looking, I always look at the jokes. What does a star win in a competition? A constellation prize. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Oh, Noah says, so that's why you don't have a Scottish accent. No, no. I've, I've been here now for almost nine years, but I still have to learn a Scottish accent. <laughs> I meant to ask. Actually, I meant to put it on everyone, but I still did it to Rebecca. Oh, oh, was it just me you sent it to? Yeah. Oh, okay. I seen it. I seen it popping up. <laughs> so, um, and dinosaurs. You like dinosaurs as well? Oh yeah, I read so much about dinosaurs, um, and it, it. They asked me if you weren't an astronomer, what would you be? And I feel like going out and digging up dinosaur bones, it's, it's probably just a small part. Probably you spent lots of your time in the lab and then looking at the bones and trying to make sense of them. Just like I don't spend all my time at a telescope, but I think still it would be also a very cool thing to do. Yeah. Lachlan, a... Lachlan knows these dinosaurs. I know, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so of course then the, the dinosaurs, um, became extinct because of something that came out of outer space, they think. Yeah, it's, um, 
quite well it's on the one hand a sad story but on the other hand maybe if if the dinosaurs hadn't died out we would now have dinosaur civilization and and not humans but it is an interesting one because it was a big asteroid so a big space rock that came down and that they they think indeed uh, killed off the dinosaurs because well first of all if you were walking there where the asteroid hits you probably yeah would have not survive or at least have a very big headache but also if a big uh, rock like that hits it would get so much dust etc and radiation in there it's just not it's not good it's not healthy and one of the things that astronomers do i i don't do that but some people do uh, do that they actually study these rocks in space because there are quite a lot of them and most of them in are in what we call the asteroid belt so in between uh, the planets Mars and Jupiter. But sometimes they escape from that belt and they can come quite close to Earth. So what we do with telescopes and what NASA does and the Euro European Space Agency is they keep an eye on these asteroids, these uh, near-Earth objects, they call them. And they want to make sure that if another big one would come our way, that we know about this beforehand and that we can do something about it. But so far, uh, it has always been like space is really big. These asteroids are relatively small. And so far, we've, uh, the dinosaurs were just really, really unlucky. Um, so the chance that one comes very close to us is small to begin with. And even if one gets through, we, we will know about it. We will hopefully see it coming and do something. That's actually a bad one to end the podcast on because that is <laughs> thinking so you should ask me another question oh, i was going to ask about um i've just seen your lecture at the university so you you teach a lot of people then about about space yes um, you can study astronomy at the university that i uh, that i teach and it depends a little bit on on as a student what you want to do uh, our first year uh, course is uh, you can also take that if you then want to go on and study something else like physics or biology and I teach a, a part of that and it's a nice course I like teaching it because you can talk about everything in space maybe not in a lot of detail but just making sure that you cover everything so you talk about planets stars and galaxies and and the universe as a whole and then there are in if you then continue in astronomy, there are more specialized courses. So then you would have a whole course on galaxies. I used to teach that one, but I'm not doing that one anymore because we also rotate uh, between the different courses to keep things interesting. Mm. Very interesting. There we go. So we've ended that on a, wee, a bit of a higher note there as well. Yes. Apart from the dinosaur. <laughs> not just the gloom and gloom, yeah. Yeah, but. I think, thank you so much for coming along, Anne-Marie. Well, thank you for having me. It, 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 I always like talking about space, so um, I hope you all enjoyed that. Yeah, can we all say a big thank you to Anne-Marie for, for coming along and telling us more about space? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> thank you so much, Anne-Marie. And we'll let you know when the, the podcast thing's ready. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, I'll stop this. Wait a minute. We'll come back to the main page. There we go. Just as we say bye to everybody. There we go. Thank you. See you later, everyone. Bye. 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 Goodbye.
Good night. Thank you for listening.